guys, so, so pumped to be with you. Asher's the best, isn't he? So proud of this kid. And uh, I've got three beautiful daughters in here somewhere as well. I don't know where they are. Where's Hadassah? Where are you at? There she is, Hadassah. And then Makana. Where's Makana? Where's over there? Okay, and then Rayma. Where's Rayma? Hey, Rayma. I haven't seen you forever, I feel like. So these are my three beautiful daughters. Any of you guys look at them weird, I'll punch you in the throat. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I won't. I'm, I'm a super nice guy. But you would have to come through me, that's for sure. And then i got two amazing nieces here. Where are my nieces? There they are, Malia and Noah, two of my nieces. This is so fun. So this is family. And, of course, I know a bunch of your parents. Uh, they're texting me, asking how things are going. Last night was unbelievable. Um, so much glory, so much hunger. I just want to say your generation is the best, like absolutely the best. I have so much hope for the future of America and the nations because of your generation. Um, watching your hunger last night, there's so much hope for America. Don't look at the headlines. Look at your friends that are on fire for God. And you're going to get a lot of hope for the future and what's coming. And how incredible that you guys are up here, 16, 18, 14, whatever your age is, praying for Tajikistan. You might not be able to find it on a map, but you're praying for it with all of your heart today. And uh, to think, you know, two, three days ago, some of these nations that you're now, that's your team, you never maybe even heard of that nation before, and now God's gripping you for the nations in incredible ways. You're praying for Bibleless languages. I was with Lauren and Darlene Cunningham, our founders, yesterday, and uh, Lauren's 88 years old, and Dar's like 25 still in her spirit. She's so young and youthful, but I was telling them about what you guys are doing, praying for the Bibleless languages, and they were just overjoyed. This is their passion, that the next generation would get gripped for the nations the way that you guys have. So, love you guys so much. So glad you're here. I don't want to miss anything. I want to be at every night session just to be here and, and, and encounter God with you. So, all right, everyone say, I love the Bible. Turn to the person next to you and say, I really love the Bible. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I really love the Bible. I think the, I'm going to say some maybe bold statements here, but we're going to have fun this morning. Just take the next 45 minutes or an hour, we're going to talk about the Bible. But I want to say this, is I believe Gen Z, your generation, has unbelievable potential. I think you're the most missionally, evangelistically inclined generation in human history. You were born for activism. You were born to live and die for a cause. You hate boredom. You hate apathy. You hate uh, performance. You hate fake. Everything about you screams for something real, something authentic, something worth giving your life for. You have unbelievable potential as a generation. I believe you're the generation that will see every single tribe, tongue, and nation hear the gospel, have the scriptures and become a reached people group. I just, I absolutely believe with all my heart. But I want to say this, is that your potential and you achieving it, you walking in the fullness, if your potential is 100 out of 100, you know, it's 100%, the potential for what you're going to actually walk in, right? We can say you're the most evangelistically, missionally inclined, but your ability to walk in that, we can say that we believe you're going to finish the Great Commission, but your ability to accomplish that, I want to say is 100% directly related to your view of the scriptures, maybe more than anything else in your life. That your potential is tied to your view of the Bible. I'm going to tell you this, and many of you already know it, so it's not new news to you, is that increasingly you're going to be made fun of for believing that this book is true. Some of you already are. 
And yet your stance in love on truth is going to be the determining factor of this generation reaching its potential. If we become wishy-washy on truth, we will never achieve the fullness of what this generation is capable of. If we are bent more by society than we are the scriptures, then we will never achieve our potential. If popular opinion determines our truth more than the word of God, then we will be a generation going all over the place, to the left, to the right, not accomplishing our full purpose. So I want to say it again. You reaching your potential is directly related to your view of the scriptures, your view of the power of the Bible in your life. So that's what we're going to spend the next 45 minutes or so talking about today. But I want to start with a story. How many of you guys love stories? God is so committed to his word. Uh, we have a team that's working in the remote Himalayas. Uh, they're some of my heroes. We get to spend, you know, usually once a year, we get to go with them and uh, get to trek into these remote mountain ranges where people have never heard the gospel in their lives. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And share the gospel, watch the Jesus film, give them Bibles. It's unbelievable. It's just one of the most exciting things you could ever do with your life. And our team was uh, trekking into one of these remote areas. I'm going to say this story is maybe a year old, something like that, maybe a little bit more. And they were in a remote area. They went into a home and they shared the gospel with that family that was in that home. They had working through translators or they speak Nepali, our team, um, have already learned the language of these mountain regions. And as they were sharing, this family was really struck with the truth of the message. They'd never heard the name of Jesus before, but real Holy Spirit conviction is hitting their hearts that this is the only way to forgiveness, that this is the truth, that their tens of thousands of Hindu gods are not real, and that there is one true God, and the message they're hearing is the one true message. So they're really moved. And the wife especially, she is really moved by this story of the gospel, and she says, we want to follow Jesus. So her and her husband, but she's kind of leading the way, go, we want to follow Jesus, this is true. So then the team goes, well, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to step away from all of your other gods. You can't do both. You can't add Jesus to your Hindu gods and make him one more. It's Jesus or it's nothing, right? He's an all-in God. So the wife is like, I'm in. Husband's kind of standing there, kind of following your lead, but not as in. So then the team goes, well, then you're going to need to destroy all of your kind of Hindu little idols around your house. And she's like, let's do it right now. So she starts pulling these Hindu gods off the shelves in their house. Incredible. And as she does, though, her husband goes into crazy demonic manifestations. Like he hits the ground. He is like, he's going nuts. He's clearly possessed, which is, you know, you read about that in scripture. You've seen it probably different times in your life. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's real. So the wife, when she sees this, goes, oh my gosh, my husband is responding because I'm pulling the idols off the wall. And in her heart, she goes, this is the devil. Like, this is the enemy, and he's, he is coming against our new faith, like us turning to Jesus. So she gets, like, fire in her eyes, man. And look out for a mama bear when she gets fire in her eyes, right? So she starts grabbing all this stuff out of her house, and she's not just going to pull it off the shelves. She walks outside the front of her house, makes a big pile in front of her house, pours gasoline on it, and lights them all on fire. Just burns up. She's all in. Her husband, meanwhile, the team's ministering to him. He gets total freedom. He ends up giving his life to the Lord as well. Both of them, right? Unbelievable. So the team had one Bible left to give to them. 
So they leave them with this one Bible in their language that they can read, and they're so grateful. And they say to them, hey, we're going to be back. I don't remember how long it was going to be. We're going to check up on you. want to see how you're doing. Like, here's what you need to do. Just read this book every day and try and obey what it says. And, you know, pray, talk to Jesus. He's with you. He's in you. Like, they, they coach him. They disciple him a little bit. And then they go, we'll be back, okay? So they come back. I don't remember how much longer it was. I'm going to say about a month. They come back to visit this family to find out how they're doing. And the family is thriving, this, this couple. They're still following Jesus. They're still reading the book. They go, but the, so the team is just overjoyed. They're amazed. But the, the husband and the wife go, well, after you guys left, we, we kind of were getting in fights over who got to read the Bible because we only had one. And we both wanted to read it. So they said, we decided one day in our, in our new faith to ask God for a second Bible. Lord, please give us another Bible. We each want our own. This was their prayer. So they're telling the team this story. And so they said, they go on with the story. They go, so we prayed that prayer. God, give us each our own Bible. They go, my husband went out that day to, uh, they, were, they had a herd of sheep, to take the sheep to a nearby river to give them water and, you know, take them into pasture. She goes, she's, so he's walking down to the river. He's standing on the edge of the river while his sheep are all drinking. And he looks down and he sees a book floating down the river. And so he's like, he doesn't, not really thinking about it, kind of lands, you know, he grabs the book out and realizes it's a Bible. And though it had been in the water, none of the pages are destroyed by the water. None of it. It's totally preserved. They, he pulls the Bible out and shows it to the team and goes, this is our miracle Bible from the Lord. He wanted each of us to have our own Bible. And the team was just blown away. Not only at their hunger and zeal for God, but God's commitment and his love to those people to give them each this book that carries so much life. Can you imagine having that much hunger for the word of God. This is the kind of hunger that God wants to put in your generation. This is the kind of hunger he wants to grip every one of you with to break the lies that the Bible is somehow boring, that it can't be understood, that it's just archaic and old, but that every one of you would know it is the words of life. It is the love letter from God. It is the story that you find your own story in. It's the greatest story ever written. It is the very story of redemption itself. So as we jump into this, I want to give you a couple images of the Bible, maybe to help you every time you open it, to give you a picture of what's happening. So here's the first one, first image of this. Now, I love the Bible. You love the Bible, right? We love the Bible. I love everything about the Bible. I like having a paper Bible. Digital's okay, but I love a real paper Bible. And, and I have a Bible box. My Bible box is over there in my backpack because then it keeps my Bible real nice and stick it in my box because I love a paper Bible when I'm on a plane. I love it when I travel. I travel a lot. I love everything about this Bible. I love smelling it. I love reading it. I love obeying it. I love giving it away. I love reading it. I love praying it. And here's what I imagine every time I open this thing is every time I open the book, I picture it like a train because a train is stuck on tracks. It can go, you know, forward or backwards, but it really goes one direction on the tracks, and it's, it's headed in that direction. It can't veer to the left. It doesn't veer to the right. It rarely ever comes off the, tra the tracks. Trains just rumble on their tracks. Every time you open this, you are throwing yourself on a train, and it is always headed into the heart of God. This book is the revelation of what he's really like. It's the invitation into intimacy with him. It's the revelation of what his, his personality, his emotions, his thought towards you, his plan for your life, what it looks like to follow him, his overwhelming deep love for you. All of it is found on this. And if you would wake up in the morning, maybe set your alarm clock a little early. And when you set your alarm clock 
and you get up in the morning, don't get on your phone. The thing you don't want immediately on your mind is the news, Instagram, you know, whatever it might be, TikTok, your friends, you know, that's not what you want as the first thoughts in your mind. The first thought you want on your mind is God, the revelation of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God. So many people struggling in their mental health, struggling in their minds, struggling in their thought lives, and yet we wonder why when we have subjected ourselves to so many other people's opinions, subjected ourselves to endless entertainment, most of it is garbage, and in reality, I want to invite you guys as an on-fire young generation, not just to have fiery worship times, but to have fiery times when you're alone, early in the morning, you and your Bible. Not just when there's 100 of you, 200 of you, 500 of you with a great worship team. I want you to have the same fire in your heart when it's 5.30 in the morning and you're the only one up with your little lamp and your Bible open, throwing yourself on that train that will rumble into the heart of God. Every time you open it, it's the revelation of God. Paul prays this again and again throughout his letters, Ephesians chapter 1, that the church would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know Christ. Guys, every time you open this, that spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is given to us for miracles, and it's also given to us for the revelation of God. The same spirit that raises the dead is the same spirit that takes us into intimacy with Jesus. And that spirit of wisdom and revelation is ready to move on our hearts every single time we open this. So when you open the Bible, picture it. It's like a train that is going to rumble you into the presence of God. He is inviting you guys. He is inviting us deeper and deeper. Second image I want you to have of the scriptures is this is the only real storyline. Now, I'm telling you, and you know it. But there is a narrative out there that the enemy is trying to get your generation to buy into. There has never been a greater battle for the mind of a generation than Gen Z. There's never been in all of human history. And that battle is to get us to buy into the enemy's narrative. The enemy's narrative of what it means to be a man or a woman. The enemy's narrative of our identity. The enemy's narrative of sexuality. The enemy's narrative of sexual brokenness. The enemy's narrative of, of mental health, the enemy's narrative of family, all of it is being assaulted right now. And I'm telling you, all those storylines are fake news. Every one of them is fake news. None of them will stand the test of eternity. None of them, all of them will bow their knee to Jesus. All of them will bow their knee to, to the only truth, the truth of the word of God. This is the truth that should guide your life. This is the only narrative, and every other narrative must bow to this one narrative. The more you know this, the more you know why you're alive. I'm telling you, you're not going to find the reason for your existence on TikTok. You're going to find it in the word of God. You're not going to find the reason for your existence among your friends and finally getting popular and accepted. You're going to find it when you realize you're accepted by the living God. You're going to find it in the Word of God. You're not going to find your mission in life just by the popular opinion of what everyone else around you is doing. You're going to find it as you dive into His Word and find yourself in His narrative. This isn't about our story. It's about His story. And our story finds dignity and power when it is intertwined with His story. But He is writing a story. And it's called every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It is called the redemption of all things. It is called the God of humanity, Jesus Christ, returning to the earth for a beautiful bride. There is a real story about a real second coming, about a real God who loves his people and died to set us free. And that is the only narrative 
that you need to let saturate your life. It is the story that defines every other story. So every time you read this, you're diving in to the narrative of God. Now, I want to equip you a little bit this morning for what I believe is coming and has already started a bit. And that is an unbelievable mockery of those who believe the Bible to be true. And I want to equip you with some confidence this morning because people are going to make fun of you. But I tell you, at the end of the day, you're going to be glad that you stood the test of time and that you stood on the truth of the word of God. So let me give you a couple statistics. Like, you guys good with some stats today? You okay with that? You're going to want to write these down. If you've got a phone, pen, paper, you're going to want to write these down. So I want to talk to you about some of the best-selling books of all time, okay? Just so you know the power of the scriptures in history as well as today. So let's put up this first stat. I looked up what is the, the best-selling book of 2022. I've never heard of it. It ends with us, it's called. 2.7 million copies. This was the number one sold book in 2022 globally, okay? It sold 2.7 million copies. It was called It Ends With Us. But let me tell you what the real number one bestseller was in 2022, because it wasn't on the New York Times bestseller, but let's see how did it perform in 2022. The Bible sold 80 million copies in 2022. So you tell me what book is influencing the world more than any other book. You tell me what's the most popular book on the earth today. You tell me whether New York Times know what a bestseller really is or not. 80 million copies in 2022 compared to 2.7 million by a human author. God's the greatest author who's ever written a book. Let me give you a couple more. Let's look at the most sold books in all of human history. The, the most sold, I don't remember which one it was, but the best-selling Harry Potter book, whichever one it was, is the greatest-selling book of all time with 125 million copies in the lifetime of that book, okay? I don't remember which one it was. 125 million copies it has sold in its entire lifetime. Now let's go to the real bestseller of all time. Six billion copies of the Bible which are actually impossible to track. They know conservatively that six billion books, but think about all the times the Bible's been given away. Think about all the digital versions of the Bible that are free. This is sold copies of the Bible. We are talking six billion copies. Second place is 125 million. Do you know how far second place is from first place? This is the greatest book that has ever been written. So next time someone wants to make fun of you, make fun of them that their book is lame, has barely sold any copies, in all of history, barely sold any copies in 2022, and that they're clearly not reading the bestseller of all time, the most powerful book ever written in all of human history. Now, some people are really going to go after you as to the validity of the Bible. Why should we believe it? Let me give you a couple things on this. This might sound a little, I don't know, uh, too much, but just track with me on this. It's going to make sense. It's going to be helpful for you, okay? Now, one of the ways, let me explain this for a second, that you uh, can know the validity of a book and its original copy is by how many manuscripts exist of that original copy. Now, most ancient books, we don't have an original copy. We only have copies of that first written book, right? So one of them, Greek philosopher Plato, uh, we, only, we have 210 copies of his original works, which is massive. That's a massive amount. The only one much bigger than that is Homer's book, The Iliad and the Odyssey. You guys are probably familiar with that with school. Um, Iliad the Odyssey, not Iliad and Homer. I don't know why it says that. And we have 1,757 copies of the original manuscript, okay? We don't have an original of the Iliad and the Odyssey, but we have a little over 1,700 copies of the original. So they consider that in science 
to be an incredible number of copies that gives validity to the original and says this probably is the original because we have 1,700 copies. We really know this is what he said, Homer, when he wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Now let's put up there, how many of the New Testament do we have? New Testament has 24,633 manuscripts of the original copies of the New Testament. The highest behind that, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, 1,700. New Testament, 24,000 copies of the original manuscripts. You tell me whether we should believe that the Bible actually is what it says it is and has more authority than all the Greek philosophers in all of human history. Now, one more way that you can know that they sort of test the validity of a work is based on when it was written and when our first copies are. So let's put this up here. So Plato, the original writing was 400 BC. The earliest copy we have is 895. So there's 1,300 years between when Plato wrote it and we have our first copies of it. Aristotle, he wrote in 427, 437 BC, but the first copy is in 900 AD. So there are 1,300 years and 1,200 years from the original writings to the copies that we have today. And people consider that like pretty close. Like in other words, we can really verify the rightness and the, and, and the accuracy of Plato and Aristotle's original works, even though there's a 1,200 year gap between when they wrote and our first copies. How about the Bible? Original Gospel of Mark, thought to be written in 48 AD, earliest copy 130 AD, 82 years between when it was written and our first copy. So you tell me which is more accurate, the scriptures or Plato or Aristotle. Everything points to the validity, the power, the accuracy, and the authority of scripture over any other book that has ever been written in human history. Turn the person next to you and say, I love the Bible. All right, now let's look at one more thing. Impact of believers on the Bible. One more round of stats. Are you guys good with one more round of stats? Are you good with, are you tracking with me? I know, you, I know you're not getting much sleep. You're not supposed to. It's camp. I guess it's just part of it, right? So let's look at the impact on the believer. Don't put this up yet, but there was a whole study that was run that was run on how often people read the Bible and the impact it had on their lives. So they studied for someone who reads the Bible once a week. And let's just do this. Don't worry about this. Don't feel any shame on this. How many in this room feel like you read the Bible once a week? Just raise your hand. It's okay. Don't worry about feeling bad about any of this. How many of you read the Bible twice a week? Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand if you read it three times a week. Awesome. Raise your hand if you read it four times a week and raise it high. I just want to see. How many of you raise it real high if you feel like I probably read the Bible four times a week? Okay. Maybe 15% maybe of the room, 20% of the room. So here's the study they did. What was the impact on a person's life who read the Bible once a week. Then they went, okay, how about someone who reads it twice a week? Okay, how about someone who reads it three times a week? Here's what they found. The life change of someone who read it once a week to someone who didn't read it at all was barely anything. Then the life change for someone who read it twice a week and didn't read it at all was also barely anything. So there was almost no difference between someone who read the Bible once or twice a week or didn't read it at all in terms of their lifestyle. And I'm gonna give you some of the lifestyle stats. Then they went to someone who read it three times a week and they saw a little bit of a bump in the statistics of like quality of life. But then when they got to four times a week, it drastically changed, radically changed. Let me give you some of the stats on this. Someone who read their Bible four times a week, their feelings of loneliness dropped 30%. Their anger issues dropped 32% on the average, the average person. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. This is someone who's reading the Bible four times a week. All of this began to change. Let's go to the next one. Alcoholism dropped 57%. 
Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. And then let's go to these last two. Three, viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumped 200%. And discipling others jumped 230%. How many of you think you should read the Bible four times a week now? Come on, put your hands up. Put them up high. Look at the person next to you and go four times or die. That's where I'm going. Four times or die. Four times or bust. Four times a week. Isn't it interesting, guys, that statistically can actually be shown that the impact of someone who regularly digests the word of God, someone who regularly throws themselves on the train that's heading into his heart, someone who regularly reminds themselves they've been caught up into his grand narrative literally lives a totally, radically different life. That's the power of the scriptures in transforming our lives. Somebody say amen. Come on. Is there a Pentecostal out there today? All right. Now, our posture towards the word. We're not going to go the full hour today just because I know you're tired, but I really want this to land in your hearts. And sometimes shorter lands better than longer, okay? I want to give you a couple postures towards the word that you have seen around you that we should avoid at all costs. Let's just say that that train track is the goal. The goal of our lives is to be regularly falling in love with God through his word, regularly gaining insight for life through his word. And I'm telling you, the more you read it, the more you fall in love with it. But on both sides of that train track, let's just say, or that road are ditches. And we wanna avoid those ditches at all costs. So what are those ditches? I wanna say on the one side of the ditch, and this would be something that maybe turned some of you off from the scriptures or from the Bible, was the ditch of legalism. And legalism was sort of like ruled with an iron fist. If you don't read the Bible, you're not really a Christian. What's wrong with you? Do you have any passion? Like, you know, where you were kind of pushed hard to read the Bible, but it was legalistic. It, was, it came with a tinge of anger. The person who was sharing it was mostly upset, and you mostly felt condemnation and shame, like I'm never going to be able to achieve this legalism keeps people out of the scriptures. We're not talking about legalism here. We're talking about hunger. We're talking about love for Jesus. The one side of that ditch is this legalistic ditch that gets in this rut and equates like, if I read the Bible, maybe God will finally love me. If I read the Bible, God will like me more. None of those things are true. He can't love you any more than he loves you right now. He really loves you. He really likes you. But will reading the scriptures more benefit your life? 100%. But we're not doing it to somehow get affirmation from God. We already have his affirmation, right? So legalism is one ditch. Stay out of that ditch. Stay out of it the rest of your life. Never fall in that ditch of legalistic thinking. But the other ditch, which probably is more common in our day and age, is the ditch of laziness or passivity. Now this one eats our lunch, guys. This is the one that keeps us out of the scriptures. I'm just telling you, I've never met a single person who was like, realized they were in the last year or six months of their life, or they realized they were dying, had a terminal diagnosis. I've never met a single person who knew that they were graduating to heaven, who when they reflected on their life said, I wished I'd played more video games. Never met one. Never met a single person who realized their life was ending that thought, man, my main regret, I wish I'd have spent more time winning video games. Never met one. I never met a single person who's ending their life was like, I should have watched more Netflix. If I'd have just watched more Netflix, I'd be a more fulfilled person. I've never met a single person that, that, that was realizing life was coming to end. It was like, man, if I just had more TikTok followers, I'd be more fulfilled today. 
If I just spent a few more hours scrolling through that feed, I think my life would count for a lot more. I've never met one. You've never met one either. Why? Because when you realize your life is ending, you realize none of those things matter at all. They matter for nothing. Do you know that the average person today in America spends three to four hours a day being entertained in front of a screen? Three to four hours a day. And that, that, that same you know, average that people spend an average of 12 minutes a day at the dinner table with their families. So 12 minutes a day at the dinner table with the family, four hours a day, not in work, but being entertained by a screen. Meaning by the time you die, let's say in your 80s, you will have spent 11 years of your life being entertained by a screen. 11 years. How many think that's worth 11 years of your time? No, nobody does, right? Nobody believes that 11 years of our time scrolling through a phone, flipping through the channels, whatever it may be, is actually worth our time. Nobody in here believes that. The other ditch on the side of the road, friends, we ought to be honest about it, is laziness. It's passivity. It's distraction. That we're distracted with so many other things. Guys, we're constantly being entertained. We don't know what to do with downtime any longer. If time is down, we're on our phones. We're finding something to entertain ourselves. Guys, passivity and laziness are holding a generation back from the revelation of God. And the danger would be that we've got a generation with a bunch of passion and no depth in God. Not you guys. Come on, guys. Not you guys. Turn to the person next to you and say, not you. Absolutely not you. That this would be a generation full of passion and also full of depth at the same time. That you'd be a generation with great zeal, great passion for the nations, great passion for the lost, willing to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. But at the same time, you'd be a generation with a deep root system that goes so deep that no crisis could upend you. That no difficulty could cause you to walk away from your faith. That no better opportunity could cause you to lose or diminish your love for Jesus. But that you would be a generation that goes all in for God with great passion at the same time, a root system that is tapped deep into the word of God. Why? So that you're 80 and more in love with God than you are today. So that in your 50s, this is a divorce-free room because your marriage has lasted the time because your roots were deep. And we didn't follow the statistics, we followed God. We didn't follow culture, we followed the scriptures. We didn't follow our friends, we followed Jesus. And that's going to lead to the life that we're all longing for, actually. So the other ditch is laziness.